Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor-in-Chief Critic. Joined, as always, by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. And we survived the Cannes Film Festival. This was my 10th. This was your, I don't know, zillions. But somehow, each time, it feels like we've been run over by a truck by the end. And somehow, we're still standing with a lot left to talk about. Because this is a festival that you can never be fully prepared for. Something throws a monkey wrench into the whole rhythm of seeing movies every day, trying to keep tab on the big stories. I don't know exactly what it was. It felt like every day something was happening that kind of surprised us and in the sense that, you know, things didn't exactly go the way that we expected them to from the big players, the companies we expected to hit big to what won the Palme d'Or. It was a very surprising awards night. There's no question about that. I was in the press room and you had gone home. I was the last one standing, the last one left in our little apartment where it had been a little bit like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs with me and the guys. I was the last one standing. You know, we had been this little group of, uh, you know, a pad of guys and me. <laughs> and I was the last one there. And then I, I went to the, uh, I like watching the awards from the press room. And it's, you know, like there's a real esprit de corps in there and people from all over the world from Asia from Scandinavia from Europe from Latin America everybody's in there all their different languages and you know hu- you know sort of hupped up because they all have to file their stories and um it was it was a surprising set of winners from the get-go and when it would be you became at the very beginning it was apparent based on who was actually there because if you invite them to show up, it means they're going to win something. You know, you right. don't, you don't stick around. Looking at the red carpet, like, oh, the Romanian guy's on the red carpet. He must have won X. But then but you don't know what. And they don't know what either. You know, and I had had a I had had a meeting with somebody that you know earlier in the day where they were filling me in on what they thought was going to happen, and they had it down right, partly because none of their people had been invited. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so they knew what they weren't winning. They knew what wasn't going to happen. But know? even down to the wire, I heard people had all kinds of different theories. I mean, I kept thinking it was going to be Tony Erdman because you fall into that trap of just believing the, the critical hype. And not knowing There's exactly always the- a divide. There, it never matches up. It's rare. But I remember, you know, a couple of years ago when Leviathan was there, and everybody thought that was a front runner, and then it won screenplay. And then I heard later from a juror that it had come down to three people who did think Leviathan should have won the prize. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the betting that sounded reasonable was definitely being discussed. Apparently, Erdman was in the discussion, and it became clear early on that there were too many opponents to it. I heard that there were at least two people on the jury, and I don't want to name names because these are rumors, you know, unless you can get someone to confirm it. But I had heard earlier, before the end of the festival, that that Erdman wasn't going to happen. 
and that turned out to be true. It, it was I, it was the winner of the critics poll on Screen International by a long, wide margin. Yeah, it won our critics poll too at the end of the festival. And I think what's notable about that is you look at the way that this movie was processed by people. It, it's surprising and, and different in a lot of ways. It's sort of a comedy, sort of a drama. It's very long and, and spread out for what it is, which is a very kind of intimate character study about a, a working professional and her father who's kind of a goofball. But when you look at how a jury might process that, it's harder to find consensus with something like that, given the variety of films in competition. So it just seems to have set a couple of people's nerves on edge, like they just didn't get the comedy, you know, or get why it was so great. And so it just fell by the wayside. And I mean, apparently it was really heatedly everything, according to George Miller at the post-awards press conference for the jury. It sounded like, it, I mean, even on the red carpet, Mads Mikkelsen said it was a very difficult uh, proceeding, and if you think about it, there were some pretty strong personalities, and you could see who were the big spokespeople who sort of spoke up. You could see that it was obvious that Donald Sutherland fought to the death for Xavier Dolan, his fellow countryman from Canada. You know, I mean, it was who got such a big prize—the second prize for a movie that was it, literally when that was announced, the whole press room booed. Yeah, the press really lost it on Xavier Dolan this year. I was actually kind of surprised, and I'll tell you why. Not because this movie is great. I don't think it's great. It's, I, I do think on, on a lot of levels it's his weakest film. I didn't think it was as atrocious as a lot of people said. I thought it was sort of shrill. It and, is and shrill, and it's an unpleasant yeah. sit because he puts you in this sort of prison. He puts but you I mean, in this it, trap and makes you suffer with this family. A, but the skill true. is there. He actually yeah, does a good job with there, it. There's something there. I mean, there, there, it's a categorically different experience than, say, that awful Sean Penn movie, right? So what I found sort of striking about that was that I mean, Xavier Dolan is, is, is a filmmaker who I think is, is definitely on a, on a track worth taking note of. And if the, if the jury responded to this movie in a particular kind of way, I don't find that to be the atrocity. The kind of It was like outrage culture boiled down to its essence with all this canned press just getting mad about this particular award in, in relation to the larger scheme of things, which is that it's, it's not like he took that award away from so many other people who needed that slot. I mean, Andrea Arnold still got a jury prize. Yes, but I'm annoyed. Why is Andrea Arnold getting this sort of consolation prize That's year after year to... after year? She's gotten this, this quote-unquote, jury prize, special jury prize, three times in a row. Isn't she allowed to move up? Do you just That's... give the woman the smallest prize? I think here, here's the thing. I mean, it's not like all of these juries conspired over the course of years to it's put her in place. It's a pattern. But, uh, well, the pattern here, I think, is, is, is this, that it's the, the process through which a jury at this major film festival makes their decisions does not reward movies that take the biggest risks in most cases. It just doesn't. Son of Saul didn't win the Palme d'Or last year. Deepon won the Palme d'Or. Deepon was not as risky and sort of boundary pushing. I the would uh, argue with you that Deepon took a lot of different chances and it was a surprise right. again. If, and I'll argue why Deepon ended up winning. It ended up winning because it touched people's emotions and they were respecting the craft and the filmmaking and the right, originality I, involved. And what I would also argue is that in this case, the reason that these movies did as well as they did at the top of the, of the awards chain, that is I, Daniel Blake from Ken Loach and 
uh, Xavier Dolan's film is that they touched people's emotions. And there are a lot of right, actors I, on that jury. I don't think that they are as risky as something like an Andrea Arnold film. Those are uh, movies Dolan's always- film is pretty risky. I, I, but, but our Andrea Arnold film asks a lot more of you. It asks you to be part of this, you know, almost non-narrative two and a half hour road trip odyssey that was shot mostly with non-professional actors in this, you know, academy ratio in, in a very kind of like loopy, organic way. It's almost like a music video in parts. I mean, I loved it. It was one of my favorite movies. It's a good movie. It's a very good movie. And it's it's unlike any other movie and should be rewarded for that. But you're right. To reach consensus with an entire group of nine people would be difficult. Right. So I think it's it's sort of like the Andrea Arnold slot is as far as that kind of filmmaking can go. I mean, it's annoying, but I'd, I'd love to see the jury take risks. When Tim Burton rewarded a pitch upon Weir Safako for Uncle Boon Me, that was great because that, that was the last time I remember a, a Palm d'Or going to a movie that really was unlike anything people had seen before. And it made a difference for that movie in, in terms of it, it elevating its profile and that filmmaker's profile. I would I mean, say that the people, one you know, prize that will elevate a film here, as that one did, and I agree and, combat, and I love it when you pronounce his name. It always gives me a chill. <laughs> um, but basically... Um, uh, the the thing here is that I Daniel Blake, which wasn't that well liked by the critics, which which you know it's a, it was like a fifty eight or something a. on Metacritic, which isn't as good as being in the sixties or the seventies or the eighties. Erdman was in the eighties, you know. Yeah. So basically, you end up uh, that movie, which Sundance Selects will take out. Um, we'll have a mu- and they picked it up at Cannes. We'll have a much better uh, profile now when they can put Palm Door winner on on the ads. Great. So, so 79-year-old Ken Loach doing what he does, a very intimate little character study. Is getting, I mean, it just feels sort of like a wasted award in some some. I level. disagree with you completely. I really liked this movie. It, was, it brought me to wrenching tears. I think people That's wrestling with the health system in their given countries, that's a universal problem. It is, there's a large aging populace. We can all relate to this. We've all, whether it's, whether it's that section of wild tales where the guy gets so upset with the police people who, who are constantly booting his car, you know, and towing his car and he ends up blowing up things, you know, people can relate to that. They can relate to the way that the system grinds you down and, you know, can even negatively impact, you know, your well-being. So, so in this case, I think, I think the, 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 the award was well-deserved. Well, I, I mean, I guess the, the challenge Maybe it's here, his best it's, film in years. Maybe it's his pinnacle. It, it is. It is his best film in years. I mean, I think maybe in 10 years since his last Palm the Winner, the, When the Chicks of Barley, which was a, had a much bigger scope. I, I like Dan, Daniel Blake. I don't want to. I'm not saying it's a bad movie per se. I just I don't see much originality. I don't see risk taking. I don't see great art. I, I do think not think that film directors should be penalized for doing what they want to do the way they is want it, to do you know, it, I, even if it's consistent over the years. And this is a pattern where critics are thinking in terms of what they can write about as opposed to what they see in front of their face. I just I'm, I I didn't leave that movie feeling energized by the work of art that I'd experienced. I I, I relate to the emotions in the movie on a certain level. I, I get that. I think it's 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 a very mannered piece of filmmaking. Mannered. And I do think that I that don't ma- get that, that at all. It's very okay, naturalistic. So, 
exactly. You know, I mean, I, what I what I mean by that is that it's a contained piece of filmmaking. It's a, you get there, there's nothing that that shocks you or surprises you. It's it's kind of it's it's sweet. It's melancholic. It has a, nice a bit of inevitability about it, where you actually see where it's going to go. If you were going to criticize it on any level, but it almost feels it does feel organic that that's where it has to go, and and it works. It's satisfying in that way. Yeah, and all well, the actors I mean, are amazing in it. The two, the woman is amazing too. I would, I would agree. The performances are fine. I just, man, I, I, I would have loved to see something like American Honey get that can boost, or, or you know, another movie like even Tony Erdman, which I realize is it's a harder sell for people. This is, this was the, the these were the women directed movies in competition of the three going in that we we knew were there. Uh, that wound up being some of the best movies at the festival. And I wrote, I started to prepare a story that was going to be all about how well the women did at Cannes, which I eventually wrote on another day, but it wasn't the story of the awards. The awards did not go that way. So, I mean, the the other thing that's worth looking at in that sense is, is that Cannes is such an overwhelming experience in which for those of us who were there 10 days, it seems like these movies basically are blockbusters. So this has somehow supplanted the blockbuster-obsessed world that we live in. You know, we come back and X-Men Apocalypse is a big yeah, movie. reality bites. Yeah, but I mean, when you think about it, it really is a kind of fantasy because most of these movies don't have a shot in the U.S., at least in terms of large-scale releases or, or making much money. Well, what happened, in effect, was that the most commercial, if you like, relatively speaking, accessible movies that will play in North America, the ones that we're going to see, didn't uh, win awards. So American Honey would be the one, and then maybe I, Daniel Blake, you know, lower on the list. But uh, the movies that I think will do well, and you can argue with me about this, um, would be uh, Jeff Nichols' Loving, which I think is a very strong Oscar candidate of all the movies that play at Cannes. It's the one that I see going all the way to the Oscars, assuming Focus Features does well by it. And, and I mean, it's technically a studio movie because Focus is a subsidiary of Universal, so it has the biggest weight behind it, too. At the moment. And then you have L from, from uh, the folks at Sony Pictures Classics, who actually had a good can even if they didn't end up winning anything at the awards they they had several of the the films that that were being discussed whether it was the Pedro Almodovar Julieta which is sort of you know second tier Almodovar but that's pretty good in the universe of of movies we want to see an auteur who actually has a following in in the US uh, although this isn't a comedy so it's more on the dark Hitchcockian uh, side of of the ledger um but they also this L uh, Paul Verhoeven's movie went over way better than I thought it would uh, at the end of the festival. I thought it was going to be this controversial rape movie, and people ended up really embracing it because Isabelle Huppert is so goddamn good in it. She's really good, and Verhoeven has a way of making his subversiveness fun, I think, to a certain degree. I mean, it's, it's a Hitchcockian thriller of sorts that's also got this feminist slant, and, you know, he toes that line really well. It's been a long time since he made a movie like this. It really harkens back to his earlier films like Turkish Delight. I was getting these shivers because it was, it was like he was freed from, finally, the, the, the kind of 
way in which he had to navigate the Hollywood system. Even in a way, when, this movie was a hybrid because it was written by an American writer with the intention of making it in America, but they finally realized that U- Isabelle Huppert was their best shot at, at strong casting, and they went and he made his first French-language film. Yeah, it's a nice kind of bounce back in that sense, and he's right up there with uh, Ken Loach uh, in his in his late seventies. So it's it's uh, kind of a similar sort of story. I mean, he was at the awards, so I was almost thinking for a second, what if he gets the palm? What's that gonna do? I mean, think about the conversation. <laughs> that wasn't that. gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. But then the other Sony Classics film that went over really well that they picked up during the festival was The Red Turtle, which was my favorite movie there. I loved just it. I went because of you, but I love Studio Ghibli movies, so I would have gone anyway. But uh, that has real potential to be a strong contender for the animated Oscar, I think. And, you know, it's not just Studio Ghibli. It's it's Michael Dudok, the wit, who, who is, you know, has basically been kind of working with them to get this together for a while. But he's from the Netherlands and has had his own kind of career trajectory making short films for, for years and years. He won an Oscar for one of them. Yeah, he won an Oscar like 15 years ago for uh, Father and Daughter. And and this one is very much his style, wordless dialogue, very simplistic, and yet at the same time quite profound. And that's also super commercial because it plays to different kinds of ages, different nationalities, and you don't need the subtitles. And, I mean, what's, what's great about it is that I, I found that there was so much that was accomplished here, and yet it wasn't stepping beyond the boundaries of what the material was. You know, this kind of storybook elegance about a man on a... On a basically a cat, an island castaway. It goes through different stages of life and it becomes this kind of profound allegory. It's carried along by the art and the animation. And it's what virtually I- dialogue-free. I mean, it, yeah. it could play in any country with utter uh, simplicity and understanding. So I guess this is a, a pretty unique question in the sense that every now and then these kinds of movies uh, slip into the animated uh, feature category in the Oscar race, but if there's a Pixar movie or some other kind of Disney movie, it tends to kind of throw its weight around and beat it out. It's not clear if there's something like that this well, year. Well, the Miyazaki film, there, you know, he's won in the past, and and uh, so Studio, Studio Ghibli has been represented uh, over over the years in that category. And and Sony handled a movie called The Triplets of Belleville, which was a French animated film so there's there's room for for other candidates in there yeah so i guess it, it, it's going to be a little while before we get but a better sense for it was surprising yeah it was surprising that g kids didn't get it because they usually get those films and it was also surprising um that it wasn't in competition because there were at least three movies which i think most critics agreed didn't belong in the competition and some films that we saw in other uh, categories that totally belonged there. I would have put Neruda in there, which was in director's fortnight. You could argue for, for this film. Um, did you see any others that you thought would have easily replaced the Dolan or, or, or the Sean Penn or it's even really neon demon for that matter? I mean, there, there was all kinds of stuff that I saw that I thought, you know, had solid potential, but it was still, you know, kind of smaller in a sense. I and mean, Mean Dreams was a really well-shot kind of Malick-like story of runaway teens in the woods uh, with Bill Not Paxton. Not that good. <laughs> no, it was, it was okay. I mean, it was, just, it was well, a little like, bit formulaic for my t- It was well-made. I thought the guy is a good discovery as a director, but uh, I didn't, it, didn't, it didn't do it for me. 
I mean, I, I'll tell you the, the thing about the competition versus non-competition. I don't think it, it's necessarily in an ideal world that every competition film needs to be a masterpiece. It's more like, what is this movie doing that is going to work well for this grand statement on where cinema is today? In an ideal world, I think that's what the Cannes competition should do. You can argue against Thierry Fromeau's choices and his mysterious programming team, but one of the things that I think has worked well is that he has done things like opened it up to genre films. When when he put Drive in competition, I think that was a significant moment in the sense that he was allowing for that kind of movie to play in competition. I would have loved to see Doggy Dog do it for similar kinds of reasons. That's was, a wacky movie. Well, I love Paul Schrader. I thought it's came fun. back roaring and, and with this great comedic, nasty you know, brutal crime movie that that just sort of reinvented the genre in a very fresh way. I really enjoyed I, it. I enjoyed it. I think it's all over the place. It doesn't always work in certain ways, but it but it's it's playing with so many different crime tropes, and I think it's one of the more audacious things Nick Cage has done in a while. And and that, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he Dafoe, stole it he, for me. Yeah, Dafoe always is is sort of on an interesting track, as far as I'm concerned. But but I mean, with Nick Cage, it's sort of like. This uh, this justifies his unhinged status in some ways because it's a movie that he's a great got, actor got when he's like given it. the right you know support and the right direction he can do anything. So you take a movie like that that seems they would to me never like put that movie. in the main competition. They just so, wouldn't. But, but why? Be, it's a good That's question. Right. It, it's it's a it's an instinct on my part that that movie's too violent and off uh, offbeat. You know they just wouldn't do it. Even with so, those stars walking the carpet, they wouldn't do it. And yet they put Sean Penn's most atrocious <laughs> artistic gesture of all time. I almost felt like I almost felt bad, not because that movie didn't deserve to be ripped to shreds, but because it felt like he was writing a Valentine and everybody came across it and was just pointing and, and making fun of him. It's such a like stupid, fragile little movie about the kind of activism that he's known for finding its way into his art in some ways. Well, I mean, that right may be what went wrong. And the other question is, you know, did, did Fremo do his friend any favors putting him in the competition? I think it went against him in a very negative way and he should have been well, um, ha- in another it's section. Happened, uh, it's what happened with Gus Van Sant and Steve Trees, right? That movie was in competition. It still hasn't come out. It just, that was it. Everybody booed. It was hilariously awful and, and weirdly racist and so, by accident. And I mean, it's just, uh, there's, there's so much about the way in which a movie can be received in that context that can have a ripple effect. Whereas a movie that everybody loves doesn't necessarily get a huge boost if it's hated. It, and it's hated in a, in a way that can make international headlines. I mean, you can't completely erase that. Though well, I once do want- a few people booed in the room, that would be part of the news story the next day, even if Personal Shopper, for example, in the end was pretty well liked. Well, what I liked about and that... And won a prize, co-director. I mean, with Personal Shopper, this is a fascinating contrast right there, because you have the, Sha- the Sean Penn thing. I mean, people were laughing by the opening frame, which basically had this dramatic statement about a man and a woman, and then the war in Sudan. It's like, come on, dude. And, like, that was just, like, over <laughs> from the movie before we saw a single image. Whereas the Kristen Stewart thing, 
a good portion of us in the room were, were going with this movie. And then some people booed. Somebody told me their theory was that they were just booing the ending. Who knows the exact thing? Because it's, it's like sheep, basically. One person starts and everybody else follows. And the acoustics make it hard to tell how many people are doing it. But then a lot of people rallied in support of the movie. It's, it's not a movie that is, invites you in the most obvious way. You do have to work with it. And so I think the conversation around that movie should pe- make people more excited to see it anyway, and they, they can capitalize on that. And then the irony is that Neon Demon, which of course wasn't in the running for any awards at all, could end up being a big hit, you know, stateside, judging from the kind of traffic numbers that anything we write about Neon Demon, yeah, exactly. Demon is doing on the site. I mean, that's As a, a genre that- exercise, as a shallow, you know, st- exercise in style, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, moviegoers may actually enjoy themselves in, in a way that critics uh, didn't. Well, it's it's not as bad as Only God Forgives. I, I thought it was, <laughs> it was like a halfway bounce back. It was at least more entertaining in its outrageousness in, in the sense that Drive was a movie that was kind of blowing up certain genre tropes in a way that, that made them entertaining without kind of tying them to real events. I mean, th- this one has like a, lo- a lot of that. A lot of the kind of imagery and, and, and outrageousness of it is is playing with genre in a way that I think is very studied. And visually, it's a compelling movie. It just doesn't always quite congeal into something that's satisfying as a whole. Yeah, uh, make that, you know, yeah, well. Yeah, but it's not a movie for you, Ann. <laughs> he's, not, he's not targeting you except that he wants to piss people like you off, which only makes the, the kind of... No, you just end up rolling your eyes. There are a couple of things that he does that are all, you know, very transgressive, and you, you, it almost makes you want to laugh, really, more than anything. So we should take the temperature on how Amazon did, right? Because we, going into it, they they were they were they were cock of the walk with yeah, five moves. swinging it around, and and by the end of the festival, you could hear booze in the room when the Amazon logo came. Who up. knows who that came from? I mean, that's the thing. You're in a room with with two thousand some odd people from all over the world. You know which ones were booing. You just have no way of knowing. But they, it happened a couple of times. It did happen a couple of times, but I also felt like there was something about the way in which Amazon was able to insert itself into the conversation about the festival this year that may have felt like it was it was almost too much. It wasn't proven yet. And did any of those movies hit big? It's really hard to say for certain. I mean, I well, suppose Woody Allen's with- Cafe Society ended up having scandal around it. But that aside, um, that I think that was a temporary thing. Um, is it going to be one of the great Woody Allen? It's going to be mid-level Woody Allen. It's not. I mean, what, given what they paid for it, which was supposedly twenty million dollars, you know, are they really going to get their money's worth out of that? You know, in the long run, not theatrically for sure, because it right. won't do as well as. Woody Allen's uh, Midnight in Paris, which is sort of the top performer of recent years, which was an Oscar winner even, you know. So um, I don't know. I don't know. So so that movie, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll do okay in a couple of weeks when it comes out. And then you have something like Patterson, which everybody loved, but as... It won't be assume, a big box office thing. It's a small thing. movie. Yeah, it's a very small movie. Very, uh, I mean, it's good for their street cred, right? And, and it's then good for problem- Adam Driver. He, he's sure. sort of a breakout in this one. And then they had this Jarmusch documentary, which was, I thought, a total, you know, discardable kind of fanboy thing that could have been included in a box set of Iggy Pop albums. I mean, it was just not not a great piece of filmmaking. So I wouldn't even count that. I mean, it barely ranks as far as Amazon's presence it can. Watching year. Iggy Pop pose for the photographers was worth everything. It was, fab- it was so much fun to watch. He's just such a showman. It was fun to watch him. 
Yeah. So so then so then that brings us to Neon Demon, which is probably their their best bet. At They're going to make some money on that one. And and e- in each of these cases, they are target. They are basically working with other companies. In Neon Demon's case, it seems that they're working with Broad Green. Which I don't understand, because it's not like they're known for how to, how to handle horror films. But this is a company... But I think it'll be supervised scale. by Amazon. Yeah, but this is a company that has scale. They have money. They have a team of 50, 60 people. So, well, this I'm, brings uh, up the whole issue of Amazon farming out all of their theatrical releases to a, a, a wide range of different companies. Now, they're either trying them out to see which ones they really like working with, or they simply have too many movies to go to any one yeah. distributor, and, and or they need to build up their own distribution apparatus and do it properly themselves. By the way, they, they are not making friends in every corner of this business. I mean, I, I heard more than one distributor say nasty things about this company or, or or disparaging things like I would never work with them in a million years because it just feels sort of like this conciliatory gesture like yes Amazon I'll I'll, I'll take some small piece of your massive e-commerce pie you know and so I feel like that divide is going to continue to tell us a little bit more about kind of the direction of this industry in the sense that this company is not going away per se. No. Although but- they could change their business plan and they could change what they consider to be uh, their highest priorities. And in this case, the animosity that they're getting comes from people who have been accustomed to being able to function in a certain way. And while there have been newcomers who've come in and out or overpaid or whatever, this is a case where they're really got they really have deep pockets and they really can prevent people from buying films that they otherwise would want to, you know, think they could get. And by the way, on the prestige front, it's not like any of the movies they had at Cannes this year are Oscar contenders. That one they spent $10 million for back at Sundance, which was Manchester by the Sea from Kenneth Lonergan. It's got a shot at some stuff. Um, they're going to have for to sure. That. Absolutely. That'll be on the fall. Look, what, what's going to happen next is a number of these films are going to materialize either at Venice or Telluride or Toronto or New York or all of the above. We'll see who goes where they'll settle into their slots. They'll get their, their, uh, marketing apparatus, uh, pushing, uh, the people forward who they think are going to be contenders. And then we'll see where the chips fall. So outside of all that stuff, Oscar season is, still kind of open-ended, right? I mean, we, we didn't see a ton of movies outside of Loving that seem like they're going to be heavy hitters this fall. No, I mean, I'm curious to see what happens to um, a movie that was in Berlin called Things to Come, which could be the 45 years of this year with a performance, uh, which I haven't seen yet, by Isabel Huppert, which apparently rivals the one she gives in L. I mean, as much as I love her performance in L, you do have to admit that L doesn't look um, like a like a uh, an Oscar contender. I mean, it it, it just is a, as far as being as, as much of a genre exercise as it is. Um, it, it's almost a question of how you know does which film does France submit? You know, we don't know that yet. Which I mean, it, I, I hope this is this gets to be the movie that that I defiantly fight for, even as its odds dwindle over the course of the next six to eight months, so that. Uh, we can, we I have something to fight for, you know. It's like a, <laughs> I need that subversive. I'm behind Isabelle Huppert, however it it pans out. She's amazing. So I love that we can talk about all this stuff for a half an hour and and not even 
acknowledge the movies that are actually opening for this long Memorial Day weekend, X-Men Apocalypse and Alice Through the Looking Glass. Well, I mean, we can fairly say that the former will trounce uh, the latter, and they both haven't gotten the best reviews. Right. People should just split the difference and go see Athena Rachel Tonsgari's Chevalier, which we both saw in Locarno last summer. Such a good movie. Finally coming out. Great Greek filmmaker... Uh, who has also been around the U.S. scene for a number of years and, and has influence in that sense. Um, she made a movie called Attenberg that I highly recommend. But Chevalier is just a hilarious dude movie about a bunch of guys on a boat that is... Competing with each other yeah. and measuring each other's dicks, literally. Literally. <laughs> and it's obviously a very neat... Very movie. funny. It's, uh, allegory for the Greek crisis and all that kind of stuff. But you can just roll with it and, it, and it's hilarious. And I just feel like, man, that's where the standard should be for comedy not whatever the hell this alice movie is so i'm with you on that yeah it can end but we continue to live in this fantasy world where we're just like trying to remind people there are more movies out there than whatever you know marketing dollars may suggest oh by the way i I mean it's it's worth pointing out that you know while sony may have had a a good a good can the the company that ended up cleaning up at at the end of the day wasn't amazon it was ifc sundance selects you know they had daniel blake the actual palm door winner they had personal shopper um and they also had uh, the Manju uh, graduation, and uh, that's and they they won and, and didn't they win the Palm d'Or last year as well? Yeah, for Deep on, yeah, yeah, exactly. So we know that they, they'll be paying attention when we say this. So it's ni- it's always nice to find find our way back to something that'll keep somebody happy in this industry, since there's so much uh, there's so many reasons to complain. But uh, it's nice to see a company like IFC still going strong with a with a fair number of things both that they brought to the festival and that they're bringing out of it you know i mean there there are reasons to be hopeful for some of these companies it's not all about you know, new paradigms and struggling to get people in the Well, seat. in a way, it is about new paradigms because part of the reason why they actually find a business for foreign language films, which many other distributors do not, uh, you know, they've gotten out of that game, uh, except for Sony Pictures Classics and IFC, really, and, and some of the smaller distributors like uh, Kino Lorber um, and uh, Cohen Media, uh, who all love foreign films but for ifc the reason they can stay in the game is that they have this other business which is the vod business and their cable partners who actually because there's a label that says sundance selects people can actually you know click on that and go find a curated list of films that they know there are going to be very high quality and that's the new paradigm yeah, it's probably what most people are going to be doing this Memorial Day weekend is watching things on VOD, not going to see X-Men Apocalypse anyway. So At least our audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so next week we'll get a little further away from Cannes. We can focus more on developing awards conversations, Los Angeles Film Festivals kicking up, and all kinds of other different things. It's nice to be free of our first massive film event of the year, and, and now we can just sort of sail into the summertime. Have a good weekend. You too. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.